Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Welcome to the Roy Green Show podcast. The city of Victoria, British Columbia, uprooted the Sir John A. Macdonald statue, the father of Confederation, and it created quite a national uproar. Prince Edward County, Ontario's Macdonald Project created a historic and significant review of the life and contributions of Sir John A. Macdonald, including a bronze statue of the Father of Confederation, which is remaining in place. Ruth Abernethy is a famous sculptor from Ontario. She was the artist. I spoke with her. Saudi Arabia, NAFTA, the carbon tax, the India trip, the pipelines, coddling, terrorists. These are all issues that have dogged Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. I spoke with two former Liberal MPs about that, Dan McTague and Michelle Simpson. Australia this week stripped the citizenship of five dual citizens who'd left Australia to join ISIS. That's what Australian law calls for. In Canada, not so much. Listen. First of all, speaking with Mr. Jeff Young, he's a city councillor in Victoria, British Columbia. He's also the only councillor who voted against the motion to remove Sir John A. Macdonald's statue from, uh, from its presence. It's been there since 1981 in front of Victoria City Hall. Councillor, thank you for taking the time. Good to talk to you. Hello. What's this issue about uh, to you, uh, and why did you decide not to vote with the rest of council to remove the statue of Sir John A.? Well, this I think it was a disrespectful decision, uh, disrespectful to the artist, uh, disrespectful to the council, but most important, disrespectful to the city uh, citizens of Victoria at large, who were presented with this decision by the mayor almost overnight, presented with it as a done deal. Uh, the mayor was clearly counting on the council to go along with her recommendation. Um, and there was no time for public debate and no time for discussion about what is to happen with the statue. That decision has been delegated to this back to this same committee uh, which could theoretically recommend anything, such as that it be melted down. I think that is unlikely. Uh, I think um, the the outrage would be so so significant that th- that could not happen. But but the city council, in my view, has has uh, not uh, done its duty of of ensuring that the citizens are. In, are informed about important decisions and have a chance to make their opinions known. What's the uh, word been from the citizens of uh, and the residents and the taxpayers of Victoria? What are your constituents telling you? Well, it's mixed. Uh, I've uh, and we all have received uh, communications on both sides of the issue. Uh, those who applaud the decision and say it's overdue, and uh, those who. Um, are upset with it, I would say that even those who uh, don't approve of the decision 
though, recognize that it is an important issue that needs to be talked about. And I think it's the fact that there was no discussion of it um, as much as anything um, that's upset them. Obviously, though, there is there are people who are asking, well, if we make this decision to uh, relegate uh, Sir John A. to to the dustbin because he made mistakes, um, what do we do about all the streets uh, of Vict- many of the streets of Victoria are named after? Uh, pioneers, if we started digging into the history of each one of those people in Victoria and across Canada, uh, we would find many views that they held that we don't agree with today and many mistakes that they made. Is it your sense that that may be the objective of the mayor to uh, follow Sir John A. Macdonald with more mothballing of of names of streets or contributions or, uh, or, uh, or, or honorifics toward historical figures? We have had a couple of discussions about street names. People have even asked uh, whether the city of Victoria itself should be renamed. Uh, so those, those kinds of discussions have started to be held, and, and certainly uh, I suspect that there's a, a rather long list of both um, historical representations, uh, sculptures, statues, for example, as well as names of uh, streets and communities where that discussion could be held. Canada's first prime minister, as I said earlier, was elected again and again and again. And he's being judged, really, essentially, by 21st century revisionists. And you can't change history, no matter how many statues, paintings, and tributes you remove from the public square. If there was something that was inappropriate in the lives of these people, and uh, yes, there there was, but they lived also in a different in a different time. There was no charter, there was no constitution. Uh, if there was something really inappropriate in their lives, then use that as a discussion point. But you cannot change history by removing the portraits, the statues, and the honorifics toward these people. Well, as someone who makes decisions myself, uh, as a member of uh, city council. I get worried when uh, the mayor, on her in, in the discussion, uh, quotes words of Sir John A. that were used not 40 years ago, but 140 years ago. As you say, things were very different, and to use the, to quote the vocabulary that they used then, uh, talking about mainstream society as white men, for example, a term that we don't because it's clearly inaccurate, um, is, is, to me, totally unfair. You know, there was no right to vote in the early 1830s, as I understand it. And one of the, when I was speaking with uh, Ruth, Ruth Abernethy, who will be with us shortly, the uh, sculptor of the statue that remains and is honored in, uh, in Ontario, in uh, Prince Edward County, uh, she pointed out that... Um, that uh, Sir John A. really didn't have even the right to get up in court and to defend himself. There was, it was a completely, and I mean completely, different world. And to again, we're repeating ourselves, but to apply the standards, and in many cases the politically correct standards of the 21st century to the 18th century, uh, 19th century doesn't work. Our our relations, uh, the the relations of, if you might say, mainstream society, as Sir John A. said, 
the white men, but obviously no longer an applicable uh, designation. If we apply, uh, if 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 we apply the knowledge we have now to decisions we made then, uh, no one would pass the test. Um, if if Aboriginal relations, the relations between us, were so easy. Uh, why, after 140 years, are they still so fraught with difficulty? Why are there still? Uh, why do we still have uh, so many concerns about, for example, homelessness among Aboriginal people, incarceration rates, uh, teen suicide rates? There are many issues uh, that are hard to solve that we are still struggling with, mm-hmm. and to suggest that people of 140 years ago did not have the right answers, which they clearly did not, uh, seems to me to be a little unfair. Well, we also know from uh, Chief Bruce Shashish, the former chief of Atawapiskat, that in 2014, I think it was, that the chief then held the protest in Ottawa, 2014-2015. The current prime minister promised that he would go to Atawapiskat Two more than two years later, he hasn't been, hasn't made any any overture toward going. So there's often a lot of lip service paid toward First Nations issues, and it and it ends there. But, Councillor, I'll end this conversation with you by asking you this. Why are you the only one who voted against the removal of the statue on your council? I was surprised it was a difficult decision because uh, I think uh, the recommendation uh, to move the statue may indeed be one that... Um, people in the end would agree with. I think if a recommendation had come forward to respectfully move the statue to a more neutral location, as indeed had been the original plan when it was donated to the city, uh, I think there might have been uh, not this discord and division that we've seen. So it was a difficult decision, yet I am surprised that more of my colleagues uh, did not object more strenuously to the almost overnight whisking away of this of this statue into storage, uh, a decision that people have made clear they would like to have more time to talk about. Yeah. You don't know. Do you know where it is? Uh, I don't know. Do you know what the plans are for it going oh, forward? Oh, no. And, and indeed, uh, my guess is very strongly that the committee will come back with a recommendation for a new location. There is indeed at least one artist on the this advisory committee, the city family, who I think will have respect for the statue as a work of art, will recognize that it should be visible, and will and that the committee will come back with a recommendation uh, for a new location. <laughs> that, that may even happen before the election to diffuse the issue, which I, I think has perhaps been a little more controversial than um, some of my colleagues might have expected. Yeah. Councillor, thank you very much for the time. My pleasure. Good speaking with you, Jeff Young. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. As you heard Councillor Jeff Young say, John Dan is the sculptor who created the piece, who created the the uh, historic piece of artwork um, depicting Sir John A. Macdonald. 
And he joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Mr. Dan, thank you very much for the time. I understand it came as a huge surprise to you that Victoria had made this decision. Uh, yes, Roy, Mr. Green, it did. Um, uh, I was very surprised to hear about it just two days before the event. And I subsequently learned today that the uh, initi- what initiated this was apparently a letter from uh, a uh, Songhees Nation uh, chief, I think Ron Sam was his name, on the 31st of July. So within two weeks, the sculpture was gone. Seems a little precipitous. It sure does, particularly when the mayor insists on saying there was plenty of time taken for public discussion, or at least at least council discussion. Not in two weeks there wasn't. Yes. Not only was I not notified, uh, and of course, what is an artist in Canada today, but uh, the people who donated the uh, sculpture to the uh, city were not, uh, were not consulted. I don't know if they were notified, but they were not consulted. Um, so I immediately wrote to the mayor, I posted it on Twitter, and was quite inundated by a, a response of people who were interested. And I think the one positive thing that can come out of this is really what your show is dedicated to, which is discussion. And obviously there are, um, you know, I don't think Canada has really acknowledged the horrific things that we have done to Native people over the centuries. And this is an excellent uh, opportunity uh, to to focus on that. If, if this sculpture causes resentment, well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about but it, exactly. Enough, if, if John A. MacDonald causes resentment for his position on residential schools, well, then so does uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, Meehan, uh, William Lyon Mackenzie King, every prime minister up till Harper, which is when the schools were uh, dismantled, I believe uh, he was the one to apologize for it. But every prime minister, if not uh, supported the schools financially, at least condoned their existence. So should we demolish every sculpture uh, in Canada? I have a feeling that while we may not demolish every sculpture in Canada, and while we may not rename every city and every street name, I have a feeling we're going to see an acceleration of this process over the next 12 months, 12 to 14 months, particularly. Yes, and I think that's a shame, because this is really a hunk of bronze. It is a sculpture. It is not John A. MacDonald. And to, to, to cut off the head or to, does not change the history of Canada. We need to look at our history, both from the, uh, the colonial point of view, but also from the native point of view, and have a, an intelligent well-informed discussion about what the past actually was and what the future uh, should look like. That would be the best response. That would but be I think the mayor's action. Sorry? No, I was going to say that would be the most rational response, the most reasonable response, but clearly not the response that, uh, or at least not the action that was taken. And uh, I believe, Mr. Dan, there's, as I said before, there's more on the way. But I have to. Uh, I thank you for joining us. We were able to just squeeze this together with you to get you on the air. I'm glad we were able to do that. Uh, we'll stay. I'm, in, I, I'm going to talk to you again. I, I, I will okay. talk to you again about this issue maybe as soon as next weekend. Perfect. It, it was nice to meet you, Mr. Green. I appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Mr. Dan wrote to the mayor. To mayor helps. To be very very interesting and. Uh, to the point. I'll just read a couple of lines, and then we'll speak with a famous 
Um, international sculptor, Canadian, Ruth Abernethy. I'm not suggesting John Dan isn't. Ruth Abernethy, who uh, created the Sir John A. Macdonald statue and artwork for Prince Edward County in Ontario for the uh, Macdonald project. But here's what Jan- John Dan wrote in part to the mayor of uh, Victoria. If my sculpture can engender a discussion about the violence inflicted on Native peoples, then frankly I'm honored. I'm not sure that removing the sculpture is the best way to accomplish this. However, the sculpture belongs to the city, and it may do with it as it pleases, governed, of course, by law, including artists' rights. I do not stand in the way of the removal if you indeed go ahead. I would have preferred to have been able to be there to exchange ideas with those who wish it removed. I created it. I stand by what I created. It is not a representation of a single person, J.A. MacDonald, the title of the piece, but it's a work of art representing all humanity. I suspect that any artist, particularly those concerned with universal concepts, as most native Canadians artists are, would concur with me. As far as this controversy is concerned, there's no question that a genocidal wave lasting centuries swept away native cultures in the New World, which had existed long before the invention of Western civilization. And then the letter concludes with, MacDonald is gone, his time is gone. We are those who must disavow racism, cultural hegemony, and uh, perhaps find common ground with those whose cultures lived in harmony with the once pristine paradise. Ruth Abernethy joins me on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Ms. Abernethy, thank you very much for the time, and uh, I would imagine that those words of Mr. Dan would touch you deeply. Well, they're very well written and to the point. The uh, The issue of the removal of the Sir John A. Macdonald statue in, uh, in Victoria... What is what is the questions that that raises with you? Oh, it's it's a fabulous conversation. I think it really is the next step. And without knowing truly very much about Mr. Dan's work or the process of creating it, I am commissioned to do portraits, and so my task uh, is to look at a character, understand the context of their life, and with clients. I mean, it is not designed by committee. It is a matter of resolving a design concept that the committee feels represents their ideas. Um, But I think that each piece that I do represents the individual that I am portraying. It also represents the people who bring this to fruition in this time and in this place, in every installation. And often there are installations that are decades past the life of the individual portrayed. So it is two separate elements that come together. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the piece that you created for the one that's on display in Picton, Ontario, mm-hmm. uh, you said something to me on the phone earlier this morning. I, I still I thought about it just a minute ago, and that is you talked about the shoes that <laughs> that that he wore, that you in, or at least the, the the shoes that he is wearing in the in the in the artwork that you created, and I realized that this is all about creating the picture of the time when he lived. Yes, what I do in the studio is, is a very pragmatic series of decisions. Uh, it is my job to portray a particular person, but it is also, uh, as opposed to just a portrait bust, which is facial or head and chest, whatever, you can do that as extensive, but it is just a slightly larger canvas in which to convey the time period of the individual. Without that, 
you know, say what you like about time travel in the movies, we would all be dead as imposters in the first two hours because the context of a time period is so specific to what people know, what they share with others they know. Uh, you know, you and I remember life before 9-11. That in itself is a perfect illustration of the people who never lived to know the outcome of World War II or, for heaven's sakes, the Napoleonic Wars. So sculpting John A. for Picton, this is early, early. It was pre-Confederation, 1834, based on a real moment when John A. MacDonald is only 19 years of age, not yet a lawyer, but he decides that when, when charged after an altercation on Main Street with a, an upstanding doctor in town, he decides that he really does have the right to speak his mind in a public place. That's the, the crux of it. And I was asked to portray him as he might have looked at the age of 19 in his first court appearance in the Picton Courthouse, a new building at that point. So, yes, indeed, the shoes, how big were his feet? What would he have worn? The shoes were purposely cut with a slightly square toe, very similar to what would have been worn at the time of the Civil War in mm -hmm. the United States. And, of course, all the men rode. That, those were the Maseratis of 1834. <laughs> so the boots had to be stirrup-sensible, right? The, the trousers right. were cut in such a way that, that they were all cut very high in the crotch because the men all rode horses, right? The jackets mostly had an open pleat in the back, so that the coat could just sit comfortably when on the horse and not be all bunged up around your armpits. It, it, there are a lot of very pragmatic decisions in each decade as to how the garments work for the people mm -hmm. who wear them. The 19, uh, 19 or the 1830s were a very, very different time, as you and I spoke earlier. Mm -hmm. No constitution, no charter of rights, no Canada as we know it today, yeah. and no rights uh, as we know them today. As you pointed out, he didn't well, really have the no right Canadian to go to court. citizenry. Like, there is no citizenship yeah. as we now claim it. So removing a statue that was created in the manner you describe, yours is created in the manner that you describe, for the reasons that you described, I don't understand how, and assuming Mr. Dan had the same thoughts when he created his statue, I don't know how you, how you can help 21st century by removing a piece of art, historic art, that represents what life was in the 1830s, why not just use, or the 1800s, why not use that art to have a useful and productive conversation? Well, I think you can, and I think you should, and I think we are lucky to be able to do that within the safety of the Canadian context. But I am not, I am not, uh, one, one thought that I have to lay out here first is that each of these decisions is contextualized unto itself. The wisdom of putting John A. MacDonald in Picton, or in fact, I sculpted him as a statesman about the time of Confederation. That portrait is in Baden, Ontario, where the mandate is to present all prime ministers of Canada. So you can have a debate about those in context, but it is not necessarily the same as the contextual debate that you're having in Victoria. That's the problem. We sort of come at this whole discussion of, of memorials and tributes and, and public, uh, I don't necessarily call them part, public art. I think this is heritage sculpture, if you will. Mm -hmm. But I am mm -hmm. not convinced that, that we can ever come up with overarching policy that covers all instances, because in fact, it is personal and it is contextual. So you have a, uh, a bronze portrait. I don't know that that character, John A. or anyone else, Cornwallis and Halifax, you don't necessarily 
lose the legacy by repositioning that person. They don't have to be lords of public space forever. And I'm not convinced that leaving them in their original position is necessarily the only or the best choice to keep the dialogue going. Well, if the dialogue had just started, then oh, my no, thinking is, <laughs> then, then use, use what's there and at least talk to the artist and get the artist's uh, perspective on it as well. I, uh, I made the decision that I'm going to go to Picton, to uh, Prince Edward County, and I'm going to go and see your, your okay. depiction of uh, Sir John Everett. I would Bell. offer this, though, too. For what it's worth, Roy, I'm the hired gun, right? Mm-hmm. When you want to do something on that scale, mm-hmm. I, as an artist, don't just decide that Johnny is worthy and wade into this and then find some group to fund me. That is not how these pieces go together, right? This is part of a commissioning process. So there's a group that have an idea, and usually I get a phone call that says, you know, we had an idea, we've never done this before, but what do you think? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we go about it? What are the first 17 of 200 <laughs> steps <laughs> from the beginning to the end? These are commissioned pieces. So right. it's not as though I have to, you know, I've not spent a lifetime ruminating on the, on the subject of John A., and I don't actually have to be an academic or an expert on John A. MacDonald, necessarily. It's not that I couldn't be or that it isn't helpful or that I don't learn from the doing. But no. these portraits are invented by groups of people. All right. I am the hands. Ms. Abernethy, I, I, have to, I have to stop the conversation here because yeah. I have to take a break. But thank you so much for joining us, and I'm looking forward to seeing your artwork when Keep I get to it. Keep up the good work. Yeah. Thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks all the best. Dan McTague, 18 years, uh, liberal MP, and now, of course, the brains behind GasBuddy.com, who terrifies us every week by telling us how much we're going <laughs> to, how much it's going to cost to fill our vehicles. <laughs> you enjoy Thanks, that, don't right. you? Huh? You enjoy uh, yeah. that. <laughs> I married my town used to say, "I hate when McTague opens his mouth; the price of gas goes up." <laughs> Do you get a discount for uh, for doing this? Oh yeah, yeah, big discount. Yeah, I usually uh, cross eyes when uh, when I get to a gas pump, and everybody wonders uh, uh, what I'm doing there. But uh, yeah, yeah it, it 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 does come from time to time. <laughs> and uh, Michelle Simpson, former uh, seatmate to the aforementioned Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who's a weekly contributor to our Beauties and the Beast segment. How are you, Michelle? I'm fine. And Dan, it's a pleasure being on this segment with you. Great to be here with you as well, Michelle. It's a nice summer day and uh, lots to talk about. So looking forward to uh, our experiences. <laughs> so, so let's get let's get at it right away, and uh, let's let's get let's start with the Saudi Arabia Canada contretemps, the the headbutting, which is which is not not good for us, not good for this country, and absolutely not unnecessary. I think the tweet didn't need to be sent by the foreign affairs minister. But uh, Dan, how do you assess? What's going on between Saudi Arabia and Canada? What are the what are the issues, and, and is the Prime Minister uh, doing what he should be doing as far as addressing it is concerned? Well, I have to go back 18 years to the same time when the Canadian government was locking horns over uh, the Canadian citizen William Sampson and several others who were caught up in a really a dragnet by uh, the uh, religious security services in that country uh, had blamed, accused, railroaded, tortured. Uh, Samson into a confession that he had killed another uh, Briton and, uh, of course, uh, was to face execution. And for two years, uh, every effort and every attempt was made. Uh, even uh, our foreign minister at the time, John Manley, 
losing his cool and uh, basically having no out- outcome, no real, uh, you know, nothing to show for this. Uh, Samson was still facing execution, and it would have been the first time a foreign national uh, uh, had uh, had faced such a fate um, going back to the 1930s. But we're in a different situation today, of course. Uh, that situation was resolved through a number of efforts behind the scenes. But what we're dealing with today is... Uh, uh, the obvious. Yes, he, uh, Saudi Arabia is a uh, well-known practitioner of, uh, of uh, violations of human rights. Um, yes, we know that it's, uh, it's, it has a terrible record when it comes to uh, you know, looking after the welfare of individuals who are accused. Uh, their courts are uh, you know, really based on medieval law. Um, and of course, uh, it is likely that in many instances, uh, people meet their end uh, through no fault of their own and through a uh, process which I think uh, most would su- suggest is not in keeping with uh, international norms on uh, on human rights. And so uh, what the minister did last week, uh, Christia Freeland, was obvious. She said it in a tweet, um, but uh, that would get us no further uh, to the point of helping free Rafe Badawi and his sister uh, who are, of course, uh, protesting in that country uh, and who are uh, looking to have changes in a kingdom that is uh, up to now uh, resisting any type of change. There mm-hmm. are some reforms here and there. Uh, women allowed to drive cars, what a big deal. But in any event, I think what's happened here is that Canada has basically excluded itself from its ability to have any type of pressure within that country. Uh, it is the right decision, but it's the wrong way in which to have conveyed it, and it will effectively uh, remove us from our ability to do further work uh, to uh, continue to point out the error of Saudi Arabia's ways. But by the way, we're inconsistent. We should have done so with Iran last year. We should have done yeah. so with China two years ago. Uh, the fact is we're failing on all fronts. Michelle, I have, I have a sense, and, and you would know far better again, but you both have a better, much better sense of what's going on. But I have a sense that in this, in this current government, there's a small cadre of people who have been empowered to speak publicly because Trudeau trusts them. Uh, but there are some very talented people who've been around for longer periods of time who I cannot for the life of me understand why they're still sticking around. They've got good pensions waiting for them. Why don't they just get off and enjoy their, get off this crazy ride and enjoy their lives? Uh, But do do you have the same feeling? Do you have a sense that there's a small group of people who have been empowered to speak and others are just expected to nod and be quiet? Sort of the, Uh, sort of Pierre, sort of Pierre's, (laughs) Pierre's approach. Hello. Yes, I do. And, um, you know, it's really sad, Roy. It really is. Because I don't know if Dan gets the same idea. Because he was part of government. I was in the opposition. So I, I think there's a sense when you're in government, and I'm not saying you, Dan, but a lot of them would keep quiet because they're hoping someone trips and they become a minister. Yeah, yeah. There is. I think, Michelle, you hit a good point. Uh, a lot do assume that. I think we have to go back a little bit on this, though. Uh, in my time, uh, there were several of us who had no trepidation of being outspoken. Roy, you uh, last time we talked, uh, we alluded to the one thing that I could not do that no uh, member could do of the caucus. You could be as rebellious as you wanted, but you could not vote against your government on a matter of confidence. Where you'd yeah. be knocked out, and uh, yeah, that sort of was the litmus test, and it was tested under Kretzing. It was tested again under under Paul Martin, who allowed far more free votes than any prime minister that I'm familiar with. Trudeau Senior, uh, back in the '60s, early '70s, allowed the same. Yes, he locked horns with people, mm-hmm. but if you were prepared to fight him ideologically and on principle, he'd he'd relent. 
this yeah. young version will not do that, and he has handpicked effete, weak members, and I don't mean to take away or be personally disrespectful, but they were chosen for their willingness to comply, and they're told what to do, what to say. Uh, if they're going to give an interview, they have to vet it with the Prime Minister's office beforehand. Uh, these really are nothing more than voting machines, and uh, they are not allowed to speak unless uh, given permission to do so, and whatever they are going to say has to be vetted well in advance. Now, this this government has moved on, on um, vacuous promises, on sloganeering, on threats, on, on on running off and making pronouncements like Canada is back and here's $2.6 billion to the United Nations. What, why, I don't know what to ask you. I really don't, because I'm completely, I am completely confused about this. I've never seen such a dysfunctional crew, and I've never seen such a dysfunctional crew stick together with such enthusiasm. Yeah, well, you know, you consider the fact that their support is, you know, uh, an inch wide and a mile deep. The fact is that if the Trudeau name takes a hit, they will go down with it. Um, there isn't really the depth in that uh, in that caucus or cabinet. Uh, there are very talented people there, but they certainly don't have the ability to express themselves, much less articulate uh, what I think is very important for any viable party. It's the reason we survived uh, uh, as a government for well over, what, 93 to 2006, so 13 years. No matter how hard I try to get you out of there. Exactly. I mean, yeah. the point is that you have to have that kind of give and take. You don't have that with the caucus. And at the end yeah. of the day, yeah. I'm not sure they're going to be representing anything more than legalizing marijuana. Do you know one of the things that I will never forget? Well, the marijuana issue is going to explode in their faces. I think it's going to be oh, yeah. a trick cigar before the thing's over. However, yeah. however, I will never forget Michelle Simpson saying, and it was one during our one of, one of our Beauties on the Beast segments, when she said... Justin Trudeau would walk in, and he was her seatmate. And this is now this this is now the Prime Minister of Canada. He was her seatmate, and it was voting time, vote on a bill time. And Michelle, pick up the story, please. Well, he'd run into the chamber, Dan, yeah. and he'd say, "What are we voting on, and which way are we voting?" And it was scary yeah. to me. Yeah. You hadn't even read the legislation, and they gave you voting instructions. But he would race in and race out. Yeah, yeah. No, Is no he time. better now? Uh, he's managed. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. Ask uh, Michelle. I mean, I my, my take on it is, of course, there are certain issues that he, uh, he gets fired up on. Um, you know, I would never forget the issue of... Uh, the issue uh, of uh, aid to Africa, but more importantly, reproductive aid to Africa. And several of us said this is not the right yes. way to go. It's highly offensive. Uh, several of us voted against the government uh, or against our own party position. It was a stupid motion by the leader of the opposition. And uh, I think he had a meltdown. I frankly told him uh, until he's earned the spurs of his father and in terms of his ability to debate and understand an issue to buzz off. Um, but, you know, yeah. I... I mean, frankly, this is what Canadians want. And look, uh, look at the crowd yesterday uh, here in Danforth. You know, uh, it was a solemn day meant to pay tribute to those who've lost their lives and were injured as a result of the uh, the, the gunfire and the uh, the incident that took place over two weeks ago. And it became, you know, more of a paparazzi type of event. I, I yeah. just, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. I think Canadians are, uh, you know, kind of taking it easy and haven't really paid attention. But they will very soon. Uh, the economy is not doing well. 
the number of jobs being created are only part-time jobs, except for full-time government jobs being created out doing uh, everything else. The West is upset. Uh, Eastern Canada should be upset. Uh, Iran sanctions will mean higher oil prices and gasoline prices come October. I think people have pretty much had enough of the nonsense. Okay, in the, uh, in the, in the minute we have yeah. in the minute we have left. Would you like to be part of this of this crew today? Would you Would you feel? Oh, uh, did you miss? No. Do you miss? Do you miss being in that caucus now? No, <laughs> absolutely not. I'd be ashamed of being there. And Michelle, same for you. Absolutely. It's not the Liberal Party that I uh, had fought for. It really isn't. It isn't no. the party I joined. Far, far moved to the far, hard, far, far left. It's, it's not yeah. the party. Yeah, it's not the Liberal Party. It's the NDP in a hurry. And uh, I was never a New Democrat in the same way. I was never a Conservative. I always thought the middle road was the Canadian way. But uh, no, the uh, the axis has changed dramatically. And of course, uh, the whole game next election will be about outflanking the NDP. Yeah. It may not be hard to do. Absolutely. With well, they seem to be uh, intent on destroying themselves. So yeah, uh, if somebody, if your opponent wants to do that, don't get in their way. Uh, Dan, thank you so much. Michelle, thank you so much. We appreciate you joining Dr. us today. Oh, thank Michelle. you, Roy. And Dan, it was a pleasure. As usual, take care. Have a great summer for now, Michelle. Bye, Roy. Yeah. Good people, Dan McTague and Michelle Simpson. The Global News story reads, five former dual nationals have been stripped of their Australian citizenship due to their involvement with the Islamic State group overseas, a government minister said Thursday. A total of six people have now lost their Australian citizenship since the law was changed in 2015 to enable dual citizens to lose their citizenship rights for actions contrary to their allegiance to Australia. Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton said... Quoting Dutton, I can confirm that five more individuals have ceased to be Australian citizens because of their involvement with Islamic State offshore. All right, so that law went into effect in 2015. In 2015, this was also promised in a Canadian forum. Listen. Yes, yes. Uh, C24... Uh, it's the bill that, for me, exemplifies the Conservatives' approach to politics. Because what they get to say with the Liberal Party's staunch opposition to C24, because we absolutely and thoroughly oppose it, is that, and I'll give you the quote, so you guys can jot it down and put it in a attack ad somewhere, that the the Liberal Party believes that terrorists should get to keep their Canadian citizenship. Because I do. And I'm willing to take on anyone who disagrees with that. Okay, my hand's up. I want to take you on, Mr. Trudeau. I really do. We've been hoping for this for a long time. You said you take on anybody? Well, here, I'll send you another invitation, and I'll include that little piece of audio. So there's the Prime Minister of Canada assuring, in 2015, he wasn't elected yet, that if he became the Prime Minister, that a convicted terrorist would not lose his or her Canadian citizenship if they were dual citizens. And he believes that's the right way to do things. Meanwhile, the Australians are doing exactly the opposite. They've stripped now citizenship from five more people 
for being members of ISIS. Canada used to do that under Bill C-24. At least one individual had his Canadian citizenship stripped, and that was the leader or co-leader of the so-called Toronto 18. Under Bill C-6, which Mr. Trudeau enacted, which fulfills his commitment there that you just heard, that individual had his citizenship restored. Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney in Alberta, former Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association, and Senior Policy Advisor to a Federal Minister for Public Safety, and uh, Adjunct Professor at Simon Fraser University. I might as well forget about the introduction. I'll just say, here, Scott, you're with us so much. Thank you for your time. When you know what's going on in Australia, and you hear that from Trudeau in 2015, and you know <laughs> what, what he's done as far as safeguarding the uh, comfort of, of, of admitted terrorists like Omar Khadr, what do you say? Well, it's, a, uh, it's actually a fairly complicated subject, but the, uh, the simplicity uh, with which the Prime Minister is approaching this uh, issue is uh, alarming, I think. Um, the previous law that the Conservatives enacted, C-24, don't get me wrong, it actually had some serious flaws in it. Um, and these are the, the lens that you want to look through different countries around the world, how they're doing this, because this is not unique to Canada and Australia. I did some, uh, some research this afternoon. Uh, the U.K. is increasingly doing this. Uh, France had been doing this. They had a law that they were contemplating, and then they sort of backed off. The Americans actually have something uh, like this, although with uh, different details that we can get to in a second. But what was fundamentally wrong about what the, the way the Conservatives did it, uh, Roy, was that they enacted the law and made it um, retroactive. So in other words, um, the guy that was actually, uh, that had his citizenship revoked that you're uh, referencing, uh, Zakaria Amara, was a dual citizen Canadian-Jordanian. But at the time that he did what he did that caused him to lose his citizenship, it wasn't a legal uh, uh, process that was in place. In other words, it was applied to him retroactively. And I can assure you that would have been struck down by the Supreme Court. What should have happened is, and it's logical, because you say, look, we're going to put this and we're going to make a statement to people. If you engage in this behavior, there's a risk that you could lose your citizenship. That's, in my opinion, entirely appropriate. If somebody is convicted of these kinds of offenses or engages in defined activities after we've made it clear that that's the law, then I personally think that we should have that authority to strip the citizenship. That's not, however, what the previous bill did, which is part of a, the, uh, the basis on which the, uh, the liberals uh, actually uh, campaigned on and, and, and exploited so as to be able to move it forward. The, bill, the other thing that you always want to look at in, in whatever country it is that's doing this is what's the process involved to actually revoke somebody's acquired citizenship. Because C-24, there was also a court ruling that said that, in effect, it didn't provide people with sufficient opportunity to challenge it. And so there are still bases, don't get me wrong, Roy, there are still bases in our law today that citizenship, acquired citizenship can be revoked, but they remove the specific provisions for people that the Conservatives enacted, if anybody that was convicted... Now, to lose your citizenship now, you would have to f be fraudulent in your application. Yeah, basically you're making false representation yeah, fraud or you're yeah. knowingly concealing material circumstances. Scott, the whole idea... I understand what you're saying about retroactively yeah. uh, uh, passing or enforcing a law that you 
passed and saying this now applies to you even though this wasn't law when you were convicted. Uh, viscerally, I don't give a damn. Uh, underst- intellectually, I understand what you're saying. I don't, though, for a moment, I cannot understand why any thinking person would support any politician who would stand up after we've seen what ISIS did, after we know what they did, would say that person, if they're a member of ISIS and they're a Canadian citizen and they're a member, a citizen of another country, we are not going to strip their citizenship. They brought it up. I didn't bring it up. He brought it up. And it was brought up, of course, because the conservatives took away the uh, citizenship of uh, uh, Zechariah Amara. But I don't for the can for the life of me understand why it is that is a that we don't as citizens hold a, any politician who makes this kind of uh, commitment accountable. You know what the you know what the Australians did. And, and apart from this, and the and the and the and the uh, the Americans and the French, they told their. Their, their special forces units in Syria and Iraq, when ISIS yeah. lost Raqqa, they said, we want you now to go and hunt down our citizens who are members of ISIS and kill them so they can't come back sort, home. Sort of like a, uh, an immigration enforcement strategy. Kind of. Yes. Um, actually, what is something that I, I noticed in uh, different countries' legislation, Roy, goes to a point that you're making. Um, and it is that uh, several countries, Canada does not, but several countries actually put time uh, references so that if you have committed these, the, the uh, defining criteria, you know, committed a terrorism offense or been involved in a uh, terrorism organization, within a certain period after you obtain the citizenship, then you're eligible for the citizenship revocation. And that's an argument I heard before as well, too, on the Toronto 18 cases in particular, was... Think through the logic of it. So this is somebody that, you know, yes, they have dual citizenship, but they got radicalized in Canada, not their home country. So why are we sending them back to their home country? We're the ones that have the environment in which they got radicalized. Oh, that's a reach. That's else? that's a reach, my friend. Pardon me? That's a reach. No, I don't. Th- Listen, I think it's a legitimate issue to be considered. But by the same token, let's have the discussion so we've got that tool available to us. You know, you make the decision about your own life. I'm not talking about Scott Newark, although you do. Yeah. But in, in, a, in a generic sense, we make decisions about our lives. We, we make, if we make the wrong decisions as kids, we face consequences from our parents or should. Uh, if we make the wrong decisions and abhorrent decisions as adults, we should also face consequences. And those consequences should include, I think the Australians were 100% correct in what they did by removing the citizenship from these people who do not, who are actually in violation of their oath to Australia yeah. by having joined ISIS. And, and then we, we take it a step further where the prime minister then subsequently says returning ISIS individuals, terrorists, killers, could provide a, an extraordinary service to Canada. Still, Scott, we still don't get upset. We still don't raise hell about it. There's something significantly wrong. They're putting something in our tap water. Yeah, that, that is something that I must admit I, um, I find odd, that this has not attracted more attention. Um, same thing when we are talking about, for example, uh, putting aside even the uh, revocation of citizenships. The way we can't seem to get a straight answer from the government on exactly what our strategy is and how we're dealing with these people who are returning jihadis, 
Are we gathering intelligence? Are we identifying who these people are? Are we engaging, as you mentioned, you know, whether it's um, lethally or not, to, so that we have information that these people are coming back? Are we using the no-fly list to obstruct their ability to come back? Are we waiting for them at the airport when they come back? with, you know, face recognition biometrics so we can actually detect them and use the legal tools like the Section 810.011 peace bond orders with electronic monitoring? Are we doing any of that? It's almost impossible to get a straight answer. Well, it is impossible to get a straight answer because they don't want to give it. They will not give you a straight answer. And they're going to ride this wave as long as they possibly can. And it, it began for many of us in Canada with the payment of $10.5 million to Omar Khadr. That was a really egregious case, no, wasn't it? That it was. Really and the, and, then, the, yeah. and then, the, then the explanation from Trudeau that he was furious that he had to do this because if he didn't, it would cost the Canadian taxpayers 20 30 40 $50 million to satisfy Khadr. $50 million is nothing to this man. He's put it aside to take care of illegal entrance into this country. Yeah, well... Personally, I think that's nonsense. Uh, I was, as you know, I was involved in the uh, the case over the years, and my recommended strategy to the previous government, which they followed, was not one nickel. Uh, I still, to this day, Roy, I think that what really happened here was that this civil suit and the payoff was the way that Omar Khadr's lawyers, the multiple numbers of them, got paid. And the one, uh, John Norris, who is, you know, now a federal court judge, um, he actually was interviewed, and uh, when the interview, when the uh, uh, the TV host asked him if he got paid, he looked unbelievably awkward, and then stammered out, uh, uh, "I uh, can't actually comment on that because of solicitor-client privilege." So, okay, how about it, Omar? You want to? Uh, you're the one that can waive the solicitor-client privilege, so Canadians get to know the truth. Maybe that's a question Mr. Trudeau should get asked. Maybe he should, and the answer would be historic, I'm sure. Well, personally, I think his answer would be, uh, um, I, um, uh... Yeah, exactly. It's the usual soundtrack. Yes. So John Letts, Canadian father, uh, British, dual citizen, son, dual Canadian-British, wants his son Jack to come to Canada, wants him to be released by Kurdish forces who have him captive, and believes that he has, you know, the right to be in Canada and protected under the, the Trudeau government. The Brits are saying... I don't think so. No, we're not in favor. And we're charging you criminally for sending him money. Who's got it right? Mr. Newark? Who has it correct? A question that probably has two answers, the legal um, answer and the uh, common sense or moral answer. Um, as you say, this guy is being held by the uh, the Kurds, and I agree with your conclusion about uh, uh, the uh, lack of credibility of his uh, story. Um, but uh, what the family is trying to do, of course, is to get their son returned out of um, where he's being held in the Middle East, which is understandable. There's also some background on with, with them on their case uh, that they had actually notified officials about what they were doing and, uh, you know, that they were uh, never uh, told that they're not allowed to send money and then they got yeah, he told us. He told us that too, yeah. There are yeah. some legitimate issues about that. Having said that, um, you know... But British uh, law allows for this. British law calls for, if you financially or otherwise support someone who's involved in terrorism... Yeah, but the point of it is, Roy, is that they didn't... 
if they thought that the authorities were okay with what they were doing. Well, then again, though, but Scott, it's your responsibility. Terrorism. It's your responsibility to know to find out. The law's on the books, right? Yeah, I know, but that, but the the what, at least what they are alleging is that in fact they were uh, they were quite candid with the British authorities about what they were planning on doing. And the British authorities essentially let them walk into. I'm going to li- I'm going to go back and listen to that segment. Yeah, because we he talked to us for an hour. I was just looking at some of the old stories about it actually yeah. on the break, and yeah. that, however, is a different issue entirely about whether or not um, countries like Canada. That this guy obviously has a very very uh, limited practical uh, connection with. Mm-hmm. What our obligations should actually be. That's a legitimate question. Yeah, it is. And here's my question in the minute we have left. Why does Mr. Trudeau not allow, wish to not allow, the rescinding of Canadian citizenship from someone who's a convicted terrorist? In the case of uh, Zachariah, if he'd been successful, he would have blown up downtown Toronto, the financial district, much of it, and caused carnage. Um does he not want them to go back to their original country? What, what's 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 you know, the Roy, issue here? The, the what's the issue? The most thing about Mr. Trudeau's motivation is you remember the Boston bombing when he was questioned about it, and he said that you know he understood their motivation because they were isolated. Yeah, like yeah. I genuinely believe that that is the way he looks at this and these kinds of issues through that specific kind of a uh, judgmental lens, which. I don't think most Canadians share, but he is the one that is the prime minister. Yeah. Well, we had a high school teacher who, in the margins of an essay, would sometimes put these letters, NVS. So I asked him after a while, what's NVS? No. Not very smart. Yes. Um, <laughs> Got to go, buddy. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks for the time. Talk Scott Newark. Thanks for listening. The Roy Green Show is available wherever you find podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.